Christian purity is the title of our lesson today. And of course, in your workbook, uh, it begins on page 54, and Benny read the uh, eight verses that are composed in our text. And if you studied the lesson already, you know that uh, the latter part of it deals with uh, our sanctification. The will of God is that we be sanctified. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And uh, he spends a great deal of time uh, dealing with sexual immorality. Now, you have to kind of go back and think about the ancient world in which Paul lived in. And once we know the culture of his time, then maybe we understand a little bit better why he said the things he said in regard to sexual immorality. Uh, I've not traveled to Athens, Greece. Dwayne, you've been, you've been to Athens. And maybe some of you others have, I don't know. But in the ancient Greek culture, uh, a lot of their art and things of that nature was dedicated to sexual immorality. Uh, and you've, uh, in your study of world history, uh, if you uh, studied world history in school, I guess most of us did because I think, uh, at least in the college line, it was required in some of the things I did. But uh, you study about the architecture and, and the sculptors and things of of ancient Greece, and a lot of their works was nudity. Uh, in fact, there was a little bit of uh, contention at uh, Fried Hardeman over art classes depicting some of those uh, statutes and things that were, uh, that were like that. But that was a part of the culture in which Paul lived. And... Uh, there were ancient god and goddesses that were dedicated to sexual immorality. Uh, and if you remember, even way back in the book of Leviticus, when uh, Aaron's sons, or not Aaron's sons, but Eli's sons, uh, they, they burnt that strange fire before the altar and were condemned, well... In those times, there were open acts of prostitution in front of their so-called gods, the pagan people of that, of that day. So the sin of sexual immorality is not something that was born in the generation that you and I live in. It's been around a long, long time. But saying that also says we have a responsibility about the attitude that we take towards such today. And we have to be careful in the lives that we live that we do not become sucked under by the culture in which we live. And the Western culture of today 
is not a lot different than the culture of ancient Greece. Because most everything you see on TV and a lot in the movies and a lot in publications is directed to appeal to what? Sexual desires. Dress. Or the lack of it. <laughs> I guess that would be a better way to put it. Uh, somewhere along the line, we haven't, as parents, required of our children what we should have. Um, and we could go back a generation to even our parents may have not have required of us what they should have as far as purity is concerned. Uh, the shortness of the dress for ladies. The cut of the top. And the men that's going around in some of these, uh, what do you call it, uh, stretchy, uh, form-fitting, uh, what is that? Spandex? I ain't either. But I've seen them on TV. You have too. And in commercials. Furthermore, I don't want one. I don't think I'd look too good in them. A pair of bibbed overalls now, I wouldn't mind to have. Uh, I had a pair, but I had to give them to my grandson because I couldn't button them. That tells you the, how old they are or else how much I've eaten the last year or two. But anyway, we, we, we just live in a time and a culture that doesn't promote purity in living. Now, in the church, we're pretty good uh, when it comes to promoting doctrinal teaching, aren't we? We, we, you know, we, we hit it pretty good about the need of being baptized for the remission of sins. Doctrine's important. Because we can't be saved unless we believe and obey the doctrine or the teaching of Jesus Christ when it comes to the plan of salvation. Uh, we're pretty good at uh, teaching about those things. Uh, we're pretty good about what God requires of us to do when we come together to worship him, aren't we? We follow the pattern. We take the pattern that we find in the book of Acts that characterized the first century church and we sing and we pray and we preach and we partake of the Lord's Supper and we give of our means. That's exactly what the pattern establishes for us when we read and study the book of Acts. Now it does not teach us that we ought to sing a song first and then another song, and then a prayer, and then a, another song, and a preaching, and another song, and the Lord's Supper. You know, the order that we do those things in doesn't matter. In fact, some people have a song and then do the Lord's Supper first, and then the message last. Well, that's okay. Nothing in the scriptures that would condemn that because all of the acts of worship are being 
done. And uh, we know that to be true because that's what the Word of God instructs concerning worship, right? But when we get down to talking about behavior, <laughs> sometimes we don't maybe like to hear that as much as we ought to. And maybe it's not preached as much as it ought to. I don't know. But we need to talk about behavior. And that's a lot of what this lesson is about here today. If you look at the introductory uh, remarks, Christians, the very opening sentence says, are expected to live differently from people of the world. Notice what 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. Can't engage in what we want that is fashioned from fleshly lust, but we're told to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And of course, to begin with, how are we cleansed? By the blood of Christ when we submit in obedience to baptism for the remission of our sins. Uh, I remember one time years ago being flat preached a, a meeting here over in the old auditorium. It's been a long time ago. But one of, the, uh, one of the, his sermons was about you can't sit down on the bank of baptism. Once you're baptized, that's not it. That's the beginning of fashioning and shaping your lives after the example of Christ, and that's what he says here. After we're baptized, we must live a righteous, upright manner. And then we got the verses here that he quotes from 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. How important is our example? The way we conduct ourselves daily when we're with other people, how important is that? That's right. If our behavior is as it should be in Christ, then when non-believers watch us, they ought to see Christ, right? Right. That's exactly right. Matthew 5, 16, what is it? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So he says here, we have a choice. And the choice as Christians is that we must choose purity in our behavior. James 1.27 talks about pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to do what? 
keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that's our responsibility, and that's our uh, uh, obligation to the Lord that we keep ourselves clean or pure. That's what he means by, uh, means by unspotted. Jesus also taught that. You're given the reference here of Matthew 5, 8, which says, Blessed are the what? Pure in heart. They shall what? See God. Only the pure in heart will see God. Then you're given the exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, Peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then you're given the scripture there, Philippians 4 and 8, where Paul uses uh, that opportunity to tell the brethren at uh, Philippi that they need to think how? Need to think soberly, don't they? They need to think on good things, as that verse says. And... As he follows up there, it commands us to maintain purity in our actions. So if we're going to seek pure religion, according to what we read there in James 1.27, we must be pure, seek purity. Uh, another quote from 1 Peter 1.13-16 on page 56. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So then we have to place our trust, as your author says here, in God's grace. We have to live in a way uh, that honors him and not according to the pleasures that we may seek ourselves. And so the lesson text that Benny read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8 is Paul's exhortation to these brethren to live a life of purity. Because without purity, without the will of God being exercised in our lives, which is sanctification, we cannot see God, verse 7 says. All right. The command from Jesus is the opening uh, section of our uh, lesson here today. Uh, we talked in previous lessons about what Paul began this letter with. He complimented the Christians because of their work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3. So as three concepts, we've, we've uh, looked at some, uh, at already at some of these, love, uh, faith, love, and hope. And he said that's a lens through which we need to look at this book of 1 Thessalonians. And he described their faith. What kind of faith did they have? 
obedient, wasn't it? Because they became followers of the Lord and of Paul and the Christians who were with him, Silas, so forth. He also noted that they did what? Yeah, they, they taught what they'd been taught, right? Uh, they got the word out. Uh, faith toward God has gone out. Now, that may be by the actual teaching that they did, or it may have been by the behavior that they exhibited in the society that they were a part of. But people knew who they were and what they stood for. And when Timothy came back with that report from Thessalonica and gave it to Paul, he talked to them about their love. Their love toward one another had what? Grown, hadn't it? It abounded. And Paul's love for them had grown as well. So from these things, he turns his attention to what verse 1 says. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. There was a man in the Old Testament that pleased God. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Who was that? Enoch, yeah, Enoch. Our walk uh, with the Lord is, is very important, isn't it? Our walk, as your author here says, has a direct bearing on our hope. Because if we do not walk, as it were, in the footsteps of Jesus, what hope do we have? Mm -hmm. Willing to repent, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. When we mess up, there's a way of correction if we're willing to admit that we sinned. Paul in First uh, Corinthians six chapter, and I was going to use this at the very end of my lesson, but we'll just insert it right now. Any sin that man commits can be forgiven if he or she is willing to repent of it and turn to God. Any sin. Now, I know there's people all the time talking, well, you can't be forgiven of the sin against the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the sin against the Holy Spirit? Denying that what's written in the Word and failing to accept it and obey it if a man is not willing to do that, how can he be saved? There's no way. 
And the Holy Spirit gave us the Word of God, right? The men like Paul and Peter and James and John and all who wrote that uh, book that we call the Bible, even the Old Testament writers, God's Spirit gave them that message. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. First, uh, uh, or is that Second, Second Timothy 3, I guess, 15 to 17. Peter says that we spoke, or men spoke as they were moved by God, the oracles of God. So if we refuse to accept what God has stipulated in his word, obviously we can't be forgiven of our sins. But now a man who commits murder... There will be some people who will tell to you that he cannot be forgiven of his sin that he committed. But does the Bible say that? No. No. If he comes to a knowledge of the truth and he repents of what he's done, he becomes remorseful for his actions and he asks God's forgiveness in the proper way, and follows the instruction of the scriptures, then that sin can be forgiven. Notice what Paul wrote in this, this passage of 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now there's some pretty, as we'd say today, pretty bad news in those verses about the type of people that these individuals were formerly in their lives. Paul talks uh, basically about the same type of thing in the Roman letter, in chapter 6, uh, but such were some of you, but you became obedient from the heart, and your sins were washed away. You became the servants of God. So as Seth said there just a moment ago, there may be things that we do in our lives that are sinful, but if we're willing to repent of those sins and ask God's forgiveness and obey Him in the way prescribed in His Word, then those sins can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul 
Pretty, pretty bad things, yeah. Mm-hmm. If he's true, if he, if, yep. And of course, we can't read the mind of anyone, can we? Now, we may guess and we may get close to what they're thinking. But right now, I can look at every one of you, and I don't know whether you're thinking about this lesson or whether you're thinking about something else. Uh, and you don't know what I'm thinking, you know. So we don't know each other's minds, and we can't question the action of obedience of another person, I don't guess. But I suspect that there's been times when people wanted other people to think they'd made a change, and their motivation wasn't really repentance, you know. But true Genuine repentance and obedience to God's will will bring about the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus for any sin. Yeah, that's right. That's First John 5, around verse 9, I believe, somewhere along in there. Uh, but anyway, we may have got off on a lot of things here, but it needs to be talked about. Paul wanted the Thessalonians, as your book says here, to know that the way they lived mattered. And it matters today. Uh, there's a lot of things in this lesson that we're not going to even touch on here today because we've uh, spent a lot of time already. Notice the second section there, the will of God. Uh, that's a uh, that's something that we see throughout the scriptures. Uh, notice uh, God's will for humanity is they respond to Jesus and be saved, that we become his children, that we do good, that we express our thankfulness. And he says here, Paul provided further instruction about God's will and wrote, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? It's setting apart. It's a separate, being separated from the world and consecrated to the service of God. Uh, to sanctify anything in a religious sense means that belongs to God. If you go back to the in the Bible, the firstborn of Israel was sanctified to God, Exodus 13, 2. The Levites and the priests that served in the temple, they were sanctified to God, Numbers 3 and uh, verse 12. The Sabbath day was sanctified, according to Nehemiah 13, 19 to 22, set aside for the worship of God and a day of rest for the people. The word sanctified and the word saint comes from the same root word. So when you think about a saint, what do you think about? Somebody that's saved, that's a Christian. And all of God's people should be what? Saints. Yeah, set apart. For the service of God, the way we live ought to reflect Jesus Christ every day 
in our lives. We ought to demonstrate, as your book says here on page 59, holiness in our lives. That you should abstain, he says here, from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, he doesn't explain to us, he doesn't go into detail about that idea of uh, a vessel. There are two views that's uh, uh, put forth here in, in the book for your consideration. One of them uh, has to do with our own body, uh, that we, uh, that we uh, keep it under control, that uh, we uh, keep uh, the sensual desires of it under control. Uh, and then the other is that the vessel refers to the wife. And which means that uh, she, as he says here, uh, well, where did I, I lost uh, I lost my thought there for a moment. Old age, I guess, creeping up on me. But sanctification and honor, keep her sanctification and honor. Uh, and there's quite a bit said here in our book about. Uh, the marriage relationship, uh, God's call to holiness here. God didn't call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, verse 7 of our text says. And you, you read these things, they're, they're good. Uh, in marriage, a sexual relationship is acknowledged as being good and wholesome. But that relationship outside of marriage is considered something that is against God and God's will. And we cannot be holy if that type of thing happens. But if it does happen, the person who may have committed that act is not without hope because there is forgiveness. Uh, there's forgiveness from God, but there also has to be forgiveness from the parties affected, don't they? Some people think that if, if um, adultery is committed or fornication is committed, that there's no way out. But there is a way out through doing what God says. But the best way out is that we don't get ourselves into that predicament to begin with and to realize that we need to follow God's way. Verse 8, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but he re rejects God who's given us the Spirit of God. Uh, we may need to go on with that, but our time is gone uh, Applications. Read those. The first one, personal conduct matters to God. Now you think about that. That's our conversation every day that we live here. Conversations that we have with others. Are, are, do we use good words? Uh, do we tell off-color jokes? Uh, 
Do we hint around and flirt? Uh, are we honest? We treat our fellow workers okay? How do we talk about our boss? You know, everyday conduct matters to God. We cannot please God, the second one says, we cannot please God if we reject his directions. And if we don't get anything else out of the lesson today, think about that. Our bodies are not our own. Our bodies are God's. And we need to live accordingly, keep ourselves pure. Let's bow. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and for every blessing that we receive in life. Thank you for this study today, and we pray you'll help each of us to conduct our lives daily here in a manner that would please you and would be a source of example for others that we meet in this life. Bless us in the hour of worship today. Bless all those that need our prayers and need your encouragement and your comfort. Forgive us when we fail you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.